This is Waterworks, an aquatic history of Milwaukee. Alright, so, Oscar, where are we? We are in downtown Milwaukee on the Juno Avenue Bridge. And who are you? My name's Oscar Harding. I'm a master's student in the public history program at UWM. And I, of course, am Chris Cantwell, an assistant professor of history at UWM and the host of our show. And so why have you brought me down to the bridge? Well, specifically to take you back in time, 177 years ago. So it's 1845, it's a May evening. On the west side of the bridge, we've got one of the founding fathers, Byron Kilbourne's beautiful house. And on the east side, we've got a whole load of angry uh, people and they've got a cannon loaded with clock weights pointed at Kilbourne's house. A cannon? Really? Why are they so upset? Well, specifically about the bridge that we're standing on right now. Really? This is not about taxes or land ownership or, you know, racial or ethnic conflict or anything like that? No, it's a bridge, and specifically, the bridge didn't exist because Kilbourne has managed to aggravate the east side by tearing down the west side of this bridge, leading to the structural collapse of the east. So literally and figuratively, the east and the west side are divided. So that's great, but why spend so much time about a bunch of angry Eastsiders with a cannon? So what seems like a petty conflict is actually one of the most important events in Milwaukee history, and that's why we're focusing on it today. The Bridge War led to the birth of this city. That's great. Why don't we get out of the cold and you go ahead and take it from here. Have you ever wondered how Milwaukee became the city it is today? The answer may surprise you. Because rather than being a product of cooperation, Milwaukee City Charter emerged out of conflict. Cast your mind back to 1839. We're in the recently incorporated village of Milwaukee, made up of three settlements separated by the Milwaukee and Menominee Rivers. There's Walker's Point to the south, founded by George H. Walker in 1834. To the west, Kilbourne Town, also founded in 1834 by Byron Kilbourne. And then to the east, there's Juno Town, founded by Solomon Juno, the city's first mayor, in 1818. It was less of a single community and more of a community defined by the competing interests of boosters, especially Kilbourne and Juno. E.D. Holton, who served as Milwaukee's first sheriff before he went on to serve in the Wisconsin State Assembly, does a good job of describing the situation. Upon one point, these men were agreed, and only one, and that was that neither of the others was to have a town on their lands. The Virginian, Walker, said, Behold the country at my rear and the harbor at hand. Certainly, the town must be here. The Connecticut man, Kilburn, said, The river has two sides, and it's a meandered stream, and under the laws of Congress, you cannot bridge it. The country is also behind me, and such a country. See the fine bluffs for residences and the convenient valley for business and the long line of docks along West Water Street for shipping and other commercial purposes. Mr. Juno said, All very good, gentlemen, but the people come and buy lots of me, and I sell them. By this point, the seeds of war have already been planted. The West Waters in Kilburn Town and the East Waters in Juno Town are not particularly fond of one another. That much is clear. Juno arrived first, but Kilbourne has been buying up land for the last five years, and the two men are engaged in a bitter rivalry. For example, 
Kilburn used the Milwaukee Advertiser newspaper to convince people to buy land in his settlement. So, Juno set up his own newspaper, the Milwaukee Sentinel, to do the same thing in Junotown. Both men wanted to keep their settlements separate, but legend has it that Kilborn took it to the point where the streets on his side of the river intentionally didn't line up with Juno's. That's supposedly why Milwaukee has its famously diagonal bridges. It was an attempt to isolate the other side, and in one of a long line of acts by Kilborn to discredit both Juno and Walker although it's not quite as dramatic as that. Jans Marty, an engineer with the city of Milwaukee, explains the more practical reasons behind the city's grid. Juno kind of developed his side of the river first, and the way he platted it was a little bit strange. He aligned his grid sort of with the river, the Milwaukee River, and the Milwaukee River does meander as it goes through the city of Milwaukee. Um, however, in the place where he originally settled, right at Water in Wisconsin, it was kind of straight, and that's kind of how he developed parallel lines from that straight section and laid out his plat of the east side of Milwaukee based on that. So it's, it's unique to the city. Um, Kilborn, being an engineer, um, surveyor, he knew to do it the right way, the easy way, is to set up his north-south streets uh, perfectly north-south. They both probably had their own idea of what would sell to prospective property buyers. If there were such a thing as an antagonist in this story, and it's not that clear-cut, it'd be fair to attribute that role to Kilborn. Kilborn's actions went well beyond what would be considered competitiveness against two natural rivals on other sides of the rivers. None of the three founders are saints by any stretch of the imagination, but Kilborn was a cut above. Jim Ozarski, a Milwaukee city clerk who's deeply familiar with the city's history, recalls one of Kilborn's more aggressive tactics. Kilborn publishes a, a map of the city of Milwaukee intending to try to draw people here to Milwaukee. Say, what a great place. He shows the west side of the river as populated with businesses and buildings and all these things you'd want to come and invest in. He shows the east side of the river as blank. There's literally nothing there. You know, that's, that's who he was. Pettiness is not the best foundation for a settlement. It can turn into something much more destructive. It all came to a head in 1840. The territorial legislature says in 1840, it tells Milwaukee, build a darn bridge. <laughs> because we've got to ensure commerce. You've got a growing community, both east and west. You, you all got to figure this out because we want you to do it. Kilborn responded to the call, putting up a rough ramshackle bridge over the Menominee River to the south. It was an obvious slight. Juno had been calling for the need for a bridge to connect the east and west wards for the past three years, but Kilborn had no interest in helping his rivals. Because, as Jans Marty explains, Kilborn believed he had the upper hand. The one thing with Kilborn's side of the river, so he did have land access. Um, at that original time in the 1830s, most of the access to Milwaukee was by land. Um, however, they did start to have boats that could navigate up the river. They weren't very big boats like you'd see today, but smaller um, sailboats, etc., could could go up the river. So he had access to river boats that would deliver goods to his side of the river. Uh, he didn't really need access to the east side of the river. There was nothing there. <laughs> so he didn't care. It didn't matter to him. Uh, Juno, on the other hand, he needed access to get to Milwaukee by land, and the only access that was available from the south and the west was across the river. 
Not only did Kilbourne's bridge avoid the east side, it also redirected all kinds of traffic from Walker's Point away from Juno Town. Before, Juno's settlement had been connected to the south by ferry. But now, there was no reason for Walker's Point residents to go to the east when they could just go north. Kilburn had beaten Juno to the punch. But that same year, Juno built the Chestnut Street Bridge, now known as the Juno Avenue Bridge. And it just so happens to be located right in front of the residence of one Mr. Byron Kilbourne. Kilbourne was incensed, to put it mildly. Not just because of where Juno built the Chestnut Street Bridge, but because Kilbourne had initially refused to build any bridges. To do that would help strengthen Junotown and threaten the independence of his beloved West Ward. But now, with a bridge standing right outside your house like a giant middle finger made of wood and steel, Kilbourne was forced to respond. He did so by building more bridges to undercut Juno's bridge. Eminent Milwaukee historian John Gerda explains. Kat- Kathleen Niels Kahn's in a really, really good book, Immigrant Milwaukee. She said that uh, when when Kilbourne uh, kind of, uh, it, was, it was called Spring Street you know, back in the early years, but West Wisconsin Avenue, uh, when he developed that, it was a tacit acknowledgement that Juno had kind of set the tone or set the geographic marker you know, for what would become the main street in downtown. And so began a game of one-upmanship. By 1844, three more bridges had sprouted up across the village. On Spring Street, now Wisconsin Avenue. On Nida, now Well Street. And one on North Water Street that connected Walker's Point to Juno Town. It was, quite literally, a road race. According to Ben Barbera, Director of Collections and Exhibitions at Milwaukee County Historical Society, the building boom set residents on edge. There's been conflict over bridges for several years at this point. Um, and even though the Chestnut Street Bridge had been paid for by the county and was to serve you know, the benefit of all people, east side, west side, it didn't matter, uh, it still angered the west side residents and business owners. Um, and as more bridges were built, they became angrier and more frustrated. They, t- they saw it as a threat to their sort of their monopoly on business. And again, it was impeding river traffic. Um, and in fact, the, the first instance of vandalism, I think, took place in 1842. Some west siders vandalized the Chestnut Street Bridge essentially cutting off the east side of the bridge, um, but it was rebuilt. Um, And then in uh, 1845, um, when Walker's Point joined the town of Milwaukee, the Westsiders pushed even more on the bridge issue. But the cost of upkeep for all these bridges, despite benefiting all the wards, was largely falling on Junotown. Building a bridge, maintaining a bridge was incredibly expensive. And it was something that nobody necessarily wanted to pay for. And Juno, again, as I said before, consistently felt he was being given the burden of dealing with this in a very unfair way. You know, he said, well, wait a minute, you're holding me hostage. And I think Kilburn would have said, yeah, so what? What's your point? You know, I, I, that, that you, know, you chose to be on the east side. We're on the west side. Deal with it. So coming up with a way of doing that and um, trying to deal with this becomes the issue. It doesn't come to a head until 1845. May 3rd, 1845. The war is about to begin. Hear that? It's the straw that's about to break the camel's back in a most spectacular fashion. A schooner crashes into the Spring Street Bridge. A bridge that, following the construction of the Oneida Street Bridge, the Eastward refused to support financially. It was the one bridge Kilborn tolerated, due to it granting his west side his access to key parts of the east side, such as the courthouse. Rumours begin flying around that the east side had paid off the captain of the schooner to intentionally crash into the west side of the bridge. So after a failed attempt to claim jurisdiction over the entire Milwaukee River, the West Ward decided to remove the part of the Chestnut Street Bridge that was in their jurisdiction. 
This was a resolution pushed through shortly after the schooner crash in the dead of night at a council meeting by Kilbourne. He called it an insupportable nuisance. Ordering workmen to remove it, sawing the bridge in half, they failed to support the East Ward's half and so it fell into the water. To steal another water-based turn of phrase, the dam had broken. Years of pent-up tension and frustration spilled out into the streets. And now we're back where we started, in the thick of the Great Milwaukee Bridge War, with a cannon in Junotown aimed directly at Kilbourne's house in Kilbourne Town. They were ready to fire. It was at this point that prominent Eastsider Jonathan E. Arnold interrupts the baying mob. He tells them that Kilbourne's young daughter had died that morning of tuberculosis. By some miracle, hers was the only life lost during the bridge war, and it was not as a casualty of war. According to reports, Arnold said that Any man who would tear a father from the corpse of his daughter deserved to be branded a coward and a savage. One would assume things calmed down after that. Far from it. In fact, things only got worse. Here's Ben Barbera again. And things continued to simmer for a couple weeks. Uh, and so on May 15th of the next meeting of the town board, they decided to repair the bridge. Uh, and even Byron Kilborn voted for repairing the bridge at this point. Um, but four days later on the 19th, a mob of Eastsiders destroyed the Spring Street Bridge, which is Wisconsin Avenue now. Um, and then when they were on their way to the Menominee River Bridge, essentially, to, again, to cut off uh, Kilbourne Town from the other areas. And that's when Westsiders met them and resisted, and there was violence at this point. Tit for tat, an eye for an eye. If you found yourself on the wrong side of the river, you'd go home bloodied, battered and bruised by your neighbors. The Eastsiders began spreading false rumors to the West about an imminent attack on the Milwaukee River Dam. Bridge repairs were overseen by armed guards. Milwaukee had become a war zone. You look back at that period, uh, I've used the term comic opera for what was going on you know, back in 1845, and that's pretty close. Uh, I mean, you get the, the the west side cuts off the east side's bridges, so the east side cuts off the, the, the west side's bridges to the south. You know, that was uh, obviously not a sustainable development strategy. But like every war, no matter how hard and for how long it wages, eventually the fighting has to stop. Both east and west realized they had gone too far. Four bridges had been destroyed, and only one was left standing. And if there's one thing a village like Milwaukee needed to not just survive, but thrive, it was bridges. They couldn't continue like this. As the population was following it, it becomes a huge scandal. I mean, it be, you know, you suddenly have actual violence breaking out over bridges. I just think the whole thing makes the city's parents look really bad. And they look at it. The state notices. It becomes statewide news. It becomes territorial news. Uh, I think it was very important. It was uh, a wake-up call uh, to say, stop fighting, and you're all on the same page, basically. Uh, so if you want to attract settlers here, uh, uh, stop uh, being in a state of war, because all you're doing is scaring people away. Even residents at the time found the whole affair embarrassing. As early Milwaukee resident James S. Buck wrote, And looking back to the time when this occurred, from today, how perfectly foolish the whole proceeding appears. Every act connected with the settlement of the bridge question goes to show how little real conception of what the future of Milwaukee was to be was possessed by any of the actors in that drama. In December of 1845, the city established a special committee to deal with the issue. The committee was actually supposed to deal with a lot of matters related to the city's growth. 
but very quickly the committee focuses in on the idea of writing a city charter, a document that would bring all of the city's wards under the authority of a city council. The people of Junotown, Kilbourne Town and Walkers Point had to literally and metaphorically build bridges. It was time to unify the settlements. But even here tensions persisted. In a January 1846 referendum on the city charter, almost two-thirds of Junotown vote against the unification. In the referendum, Juno comes out fiercely against it because his side winds up having to pay for it. The argument being, hey, look, buddy, if you don't have the bridge, what are you going to do? All your east can't come west. And so they wind up uh, opposing it, but at the end of the day, uh, Kilbourne and Walker's Point, they, Kilbourne Town and Walker's Point, they wind up significantly outvoting him, and so the referendum passes despite his concerns. We're in Milwaukee City Hall. Last time jump, I promise. It's 1846, January 31st to be exact, and Juno, Kilburn and Walker are all assembled. Following a resolution approved the month before, a city charter has been received from the state of Wisconsin, and the village of Milwaukee is being incorporated into the city of Milwaukee. Contained in that charter was a decree that a general city fund and not individual wards would foot the bill for future bridges. Legislation was introduced that not only determined how bridges would be paid for, but where they were located. And three permanent bridges were to be built across the Milwaukee River. No one person and their pettiness could cast decisions that would affect everyone in every ward. The bridge war was now officially over. The city of Milwaukee was the winner. Uh, and I think what happened was both sides laid down arms uh, and said, uh, we will cooperate. So I, I would not say uh, any particular side won, uh, but the victory was for the, the city of Milwaukee, being able to move forward, you know, unencumbered by violence and conflict. Once in a while, something productive comes out of the ashes of war. In this case, the city of Milwaukee, born out of war, raising the spirit of peaceful yet necessary compromise by the settlers of Juno Town and Kilbourne Town building bridges in every sense of the word, however crooked those bridges may be. Oscar Harding is getting his master's degree in public history at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. A Yankee ship came down the river Blow, boys, blow. A Yankee ship came down the river. Blow, boys, bonnie boys, blow. Well, our show today was produced by Oscar Harding with help from myself and the students of History and New Media at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. This episode featured material from The Industrial History of Milwaukee by E.E. E. Barton, Solomon Juno, A Biography by Isabella Fox, A Financial and Administrative History of Milwaukee by Lawrence Larson, and a volume of Wisconsin in Three Centuries by Henry Campbell. Music and sound effects for this episode come from Scott Buckley, Hayden Folker, Axeltree, Martin Shelkins and freesound.org, while our concluding song is A Yankee Ship Came Down the River and comes from the Wisconsin Folk Song Collection at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Our voice for this week was James Kukan, who served as Edie Holton, Jonathan E. Arnold, and James S. Buck. Thanks this week go out to John Goethe, Jim Ozarski, Yance Marty, Matthew Priggy, Frank Kalisic, Mike Gonzalez, Tim Askin, Jennifer Picard, Amanda Seligman, Brian Deneve, Kay Collins, and Jordan Mendez. 
And an extra special thanks to Ben Barbera of the Milwaukee County Historical Society, whose exhibit, Milwaukee, Where the Waters Meet, inspired this season. Milwaukee, Where the Waters Meets is on display at the Milwaukee County Historical Society from January 13th through April 23rd, 2022. Waterworks is a production of the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee's Department of History and the Milwaukee County Historical Society. For more information about the show, including photographs and documents from the era, check out milwaukeehistory.net slash podcasts. And thanks for listening. Blow boys, bonnie boys, blow. As a little bonus to close out this episode, we decided as a team to include what I suppose you could call a deleted scene of sorts. The original opening, which takes perhaps too much of a dramatic license. You'll understand pretty quickly why it got cut. Enjoy. We're in Junotown, Milwaukee's East Ward. The date, May 7th, 1845. And the city's at war. One way to describe this event is as, perhaps, the darkest night just before the dawn. Believe it or not, we're witnessing the birth of Wisconsin's first city, a baptism by fire. To get there, we'll have to traverse a bitter rivalry between Milwaukee's most powerful and influential men, a trio of settlements baying for blood, decades of animosity, and a cycle of structural destruction. This is the story of the Milwaukee Bridge War, the conflict that led to a collection of settlements that called themselves a village becoming a city. Welcome to Milwaukee, the city born out of war.